How's everybody doing tonight? It's good to see some happy faces out there. It's good to see a friend. Good to see you, Nathan. Man, it's really good to see you. Sunday morning, God gave us a wonderful word. And uh, that is available for your um, edification online. Or you could pick up a CD for free or at no cost to you. But there's one catch to it. The moment you hear the truth, you're responsible to do it. But this was a real freeing truth, I believe. So I can't do everything. I can't review everything that I did Sunday morning, but this is part two. And I trust that this will bring you closer to the Father. If the world needs anything, they need, they need a closer walk with the Father God and with, with Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your precious people. Thank you, Lord, that they've come out, taken time out to stand in your presence, to worship you, and to hear your word. I'm asking, Lord, that you would open our uh, ears, open our eyes. Help me, Lord, to, do a, to, to, to yield to you and give us utterance tonight. Help us, Lord. Help us help your people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Our text tonight is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 through 12. This is uh, the title of my message tonight is Whom the Lord Loves, dot, dot, dot. Because you know, you found out Sunday morning that if I give you the rest of it, you're going to turn it off in five minutes. But here we go right into the scripture. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the Father, the Son, in whom he delighteth. Now, if you weren't here Sunday morning and haven't heard anything like this, you're probably out there saying, oh, bummer. <laughs> Great, you know, the, whom the Lord loves, he correcteth some, some uh, chastiseth, you know. There's a, there's a, there's a myriad of things. So uh, let's take a little journey through words again for those of you that weren't Sunday morning. Let's see how our PowerPoint presentation is doing tonight. And uh, I'll give you a moment to bring that up. And uh, this is a family of very unpopular words and concepts. So unpopular, they're almost non-existent. So you'll see the, the, you need to click on the PowerPoint. And you might need to ask, you know, permission and that sort of thing. Aha, uh-huh. she'll, she'll take care of it. She'll get it. But anyway, the first word that I have is chastise or chasten. And the way that we think of that typically is to subdue humble cows, squash and deflate. Can you see God loving you? I just see people running by the tens of thousands and millions coming to get squashed by God. That's not what it means. (laughs) That's not what it means. Okay, so thank you for bringing that up. I just appreciate our team up there. So I want you to notice... In the 1800s, the used chastise and chasten was, was uh, uh, used quite a bit. So you could see that it was used in literature. It was used in everyday uh, conversation. Yeah, let's go chastise, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I want you to notice the timeline. On your left, you may not be able to. On your left is the 1800s. And you can see it's at all the way, all the way high. But at the, at the bottom over here, you see 2010. And, of course, we're in 2017 right now, but uh, you can see that that word is not used very much in, in our era. I mean, when's the last time you picked up, you know, the People magazine and said, chastise? Which is not, not so much, right? Uh, the, New York, uh, the New York Times, you, you know, uh, uh, what other, ma- Home and Gardens. You just don't see it. Mechanic Daily or, or even Medical Journal. You don't see it because that word is almost extinct in our generation. 
<laughs> but you know, it, it means something quite different than what we think. In, in, the, in the Hebrew, chastise, is the, the, the word is musar, which is Strong's 4148, which means basically, honestly, when you break it down, to instruct. To instruct, instruction. And there's other words that, that, that um, come to mind on that one. Uh, that is also uh, discipline and, and correction. And you'll find out sooner. We're, we, we made a little acrostic about the word chasten to let you know that it, chasten is not a dirty word. Anyway, so here we have, uh, there's a scripture that says, Blessed is the man whom thou chasteneth. That's Psalms 94.12. You don't have to turn there. but Hence, it's common in both King James Version, Revised Version, British and American, to find the Hebrew word musar, the Greek padea, uh, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, forgive me, translated as instruction. Now let's go to our next word, which is not very popular. This is uh, another one on the top ten not popular words, admonish. When's the last time you came across that word? So you could see that it hasn't been used a whole lot in our day. Boy, it's almost at the bottom. If you were investing and that was your investment, you'd be like, ooh, man, we're broke. We just lost it. We just bought the farm on that one. But let me tell you what, it, you see admonish, you will find it in biblical culture. You will find it in the Bible. Let me enlighten you or remind you what admonish means. It means to uh, instruct, to advise, express warning or disapproval, especially, listen to this, especially in a gentle, earnest, or solicitous, solicitous manner. Do you feel the love? Are you feeling the love in that? Then you could go back to uh, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 11 where it says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chastises type thing. You know, he's ch- just like a son. Well, in this case, can you see, a, does that look a little more reasonable where a father would, uh, would uh, show, uh, express a warning or advise or instruct or even show disapproval in a gentle, earnest and uh, solicitous manner. Forgive me, got a little tongue-tied there. And here's another one, to give friendly or earnest advice or encouragement. You see, it's not, somebody say it's not a dirty word. And yet we don't use it very much. You don't see that in colleges and universities. You won't find it on campuses. You won't find it in journals. Let's look, you will find it in the Bible. Let's look at the next one, reproof. Let's go to that word, reproof. Oh, that one, boy, what a winner, huh? It used to be used a whole lot back then, but wow, what a bummer, man. What, but what does reproof mean? Uh, let's go to the, 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 besides reproof, let's go to reprove, which is the action or the verb form. Look at re, reprove, reprove, which is the next slide. And let me read what that means. To, uh, there it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's one is reproof and the other one is reprove. But notice what it says, to scold or correct usually with gently and with kindly intent. How many of us have ever experienced, I don't know that any of us have ever experienced this the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, you know what it was like when you were growing up. What mom and pop did, you know, did you get a whooping all the time? Like, you know, who? I don't know who... Your authoritarians were in your life, but I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not sure that they did a perfect job. I'm not sure I did a perfect job with my kids. But I'll tell you the truth about it. Our Heavenly Father, He doesn't miss the mark. Gently, with kindly intent. Notice what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You don't change the PowerPoint presentation because it's hard to get back to. All Scripture, look what it says in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know that's not your favorite scripture. I mean, if it's your favorite scripture, I mean, I'd be really surprised. Who's, who's is that? That's a favorite scripture. I had one person all Sunday that said, that's a, my favorite scripture. They shot in their hand and it's like, there's one in every crowd. I don't get it. I just don't get it. That's not a scripture. You go, oh boy, correct me. Oh, thanks, I needed that. You know the commercials of thanks, I needed that? Mm. But let me, sh- let me show you another concept. You won't find this by word in the Bible, but you see it happening, and it maybe is something that you can relate to. Let's go to the next word. Coach! Oh my gosh, look at that! Well, okay, I already admit that in the early 1800s, that may, coach may mean something like something that you ride, you know, like pulled by a horse and buggy. So I, I get that. And when you get over more to the 1850s, uh, who knows, coach might be a train or something like that. And when you get into the 1900s, who knows, it might mean a purse, a coach purse. But you're going to find that in 1950, moving, look at, look at the upward climb in the 1950s. The word coach took on a very great significance. And that is basically, if you follow baseball at all, hey, (laughs) coaching. All of a sudden, the coaches in baseball and then coaching in, like today, there's coaching everywhere with all kinds of stuff. There's life coaches. In fact, there's an international federation of coaching. And as you can see, the trend is nothing but increasing. I'm sure if we went to 2017, it would be off the charts. Do you agree? Do you have a good feeling about coach coaching? I think we do get a good feeling about coaching. We have things that are called like personal coaches. And uh, let's see. Let me, let me just uh, read some of the things that I have down here about coaching. And this is by way of kind of foundation and review. Extra or private teaching or tutoring. Private lessons. How about that? To give someone extra or private teaching, an instructor or a trainer, uh, uh, someone that mentors, or you know, so a tutor who gives private or specialized teaching. You know, um, I really don't know of any super athlete out there today, or any super artist for that matter, that hasn't received some form of coaching. You know, where where they came, someone that was more experienced. But what we pointed out on Sunday is that there's something very interesting about this word coaching. You see, the, the other words, reproof, correction, chastise, it has, there's this image of this dude with the hood on, with this big stick. But over here, when you say coaching, there's a relationship between the coach and the coachee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that would go over like a lead balloon. There's a relationship. It's a relationship of trust. And when you say that you have a personal trainer at the gym, this individual has a personal relationship with you, knows you personally, and is watching out for you. And they're going to be pointing out your strengths in case you don't believe in yourself and the qualities that you have. And they're going to be helping you and pointing out your weaknesses and showing you what you can do to strengthen your position. Does that make sense? And for some reason, we're okay with that. Who's okay with that? That you you kind of believe that a coach is on your side. Is that right? And, And notice that when we talk about coaching, we're not talking about group coaching here. We're talking about private coaching. 
In other words, this is not some generic thing where you've got 600 people out there. You say, okay, everyone lift like this and everyone lift like that. We're talking about someone that took time and is spending... One of the most amazing relationships in coaching that's very, very um, vivid in my mind. Did anybody remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire? Okay, you know the Jewish runner? He had an Arab coach. Do you remember that movie? So remember that he would get in his face and he would pull out the best in him and I will not run on Sunday and all that stuff. You know the whole deal. But the, the real cool thing is he, the, the coach did not go to the arena, but he was outside the arena. And do you remember what happened when, when the people were yelling because the race was going on and he, they didn't have TV, I suppose. He just was listening for what would happen. And then he heard the national, the Israeli national anthem, and he was so elated that he won, that his, that, that the young man that he was coaching won, he took his hat and he punched it, and he said, my son. <laughs> Do you ever remember, is it just me, or did anybody else get a little excited about, okay, just checking. <laughs> Sorry, the Latino comes out every once in a while. But I'm telling you, he was excited to see that young man, he invested in him. He was, he was not, this wasn't just a job. And by the fact that he said, my son, he had adopted him and made him a part of his life. And what he wanted to do was impart to him, not beat him down, not humiliate him. We've got to get this. If nothing else, catch the idea that your heavenly father is like a coach and he's there with you. He's your personal, like, like a personal child. Of course, he's a whole lot more than that. We don't want to, we don't want to, uh, blaspheme and say God's just a coach. Hey coach, what's up? No. But on the other hand, one of the roles that he fulfills is a trusted role of a personal coach. Say coach. So let's look at the other one. Let's look at trainer. Look at the next word. Trainer, see how popular that word coach was in our day? Boy, that was, that was really wild. There's trainer. I want you to see that. It, is, it was virtually non-existent in the 1800s. But in our generation, starting with about the 1900s, all of a sudden training, the Industrial Revolution... Training became very, very important. Why? Because people had, they had a whole paradigm shift from making everything by hand to learning how to work with machinery. You follow that? And people had to be, had to learn how to uh, interact with machinery, had to interact with materials like metal, like rubber, like plastic, or whatever the, the polymers were. And, and it was like in the 1900s, I want you to notice that's probably right about there, similar to where the Industrial Revolution was occurring. And notice it did not let up, I mean it's going up at 20, at, notice it hit the very top uh, early 2000, probably, the, I'll tell you the truth, uh, probably the recession hit at 2008, it's reflected right there. A lot, of the, a lot of the training kind of subsided because businesses were laying off people right and left. You follow what I'm saying? But it's very, this is very interesting, I'm trying to say this isn't like empirical scientific but you can see that there is a correlation is will you give me a give, give me a mulligan on this one there is a correlation to what's happening so training what in the world is training well training is what is is basically a, a, an individual or a trainer is one who teaches a person or uh, or an animal in this case a person a particular skill or type of behavior through practice and instruction over time so you're you're and they also use other synonyms like 
like coach and tutor and educate and drill and ground and indoctrinate, initiate and so forth and so on. So there you go. Now, there's another one that says, I think I'm going to skip some of that. There's another one that says um, instruction. I guess you could put that up there. Instruction stands alone as the standard. Let's look at instruction. When you look at instruction, you see that it seems to have always been important throughout all men, throughout this, what, 200 and some odd year span. It's still important. What is instruction? Instruction is the volume of knowledge. Like whatever the knowledge was there and the knowledge now, it seems to be important. But notice how different when you say instructor, let's look at the next word. Look at the, or instruct. They didn't have instruct? Oh boy, that was interesting. All right, so let me just tell you what it was. When you show, when you show the word instruct or the verb instruct, it falls way down. I don't know if you can all see this, but it goes way down just like the other ones. Let me tell you why. This requires a relationship. You're usually taught by a person. And as a generation, we don't like people telling us what to do. Instruction re- represents the standard. And I, I, I just occurred to me the other day, it's very unpopular because, uh, because when we read instruction, we see the standard and we, we look at it. Here's an example. We, we read Ten Commandments, but we're thinking as a culture the Ten Suggestions. You follow what I'm saying? You may read the standard may be the Ten Commandments, but as a culture, even Christians, we think the Ten Suggestions, we pick and choose which ones we're going to, you know, we think because we don't want someone telling us what to do. Let me just tell you this. When you talk about instruct, that's a personal relationship that is a direct command or a direct order to teach someone a skill. In other words, that relationship, you're actually telling someone what to do. And as a rebellious generation, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> oh, you'll get the instructions to that tricycle when it's Christmas time. And you're, the wife is there trying to say, oh, here's the instructions. Ah, I don't need no instructions. I'll do this myself. Honey, I really think you should use it. Ah, I don't need no instructions. <laughs> and you try to do it yourself. Oh, ooh, oh. Honey, maybe you should look at the instructions. Come on, guys. Am I the only one? That was a long time ago. But we like to do it our own way. I could figure this out. But you see, an an instructor, a person that is instructing, is a person that's saying, now do this, now do that, now do this. We need to learn that when our Heavenly Father says, okay, now do this, now do that, He's not trying to insult our intelligence. He's trying to save us a lot of time. In many cases, he's trying to save you a lot of money and a lot of wasted effort. How many appreciate the little timelines of all this? And of course, encouragement was really huge. Everybody loves encouragement. So, so did you see encouragement up there? It was like really high. Oh, everybody likes warm and fuzzies. Everybody likes people and say, oh, you're doing a great job, tiger. But when it comes to that, now, wait a minute. You're doing a great job, but this one spot right here, um, you know, right? This one spot, like, like, ooh, what? You're saying, so, well, tell me what to do. Because we don't trust. We think that we know better, right? So let's, <laughs> there's that song, Mother Knows Best, you know. Oh, Lord, that comes. So anyway, so there's other words like rebuke and dear Lord. 
the traditional definition of rebuke express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior, reprimand, reproach, and scold, and all that. But honestly, that's not at all what the Bible means by by uh, a rebuke. It's also um, a rebuke is also delivered in a loving way. It may be a little more expedient, but people are doing it because they love you. All right, are you ready to get into some stuff from tonight? Here's an interesting word, the word punish. Is punish up there? Ooh, that's not very popular. It was very popular before. Hey, you, I'm going to punish you. <laughs> but right now, it's almost illegal to punish. What, what do you mean punish? That's where you, you go to bring correction that brings pain, bodily pain. Okay, who wants to sign up for that? Oh, come and be a child of God whom the Lord loveth. He just dearly loves you. He wants to bring you some pain. You know, that's the wrong impression. We'll talk about pain later. <laughs> but that's, you've got to understand that, that even the Greek word for, uh, for, for rebuked and some of these other ones is elenko. Hey, there you go. The meaning is conviction to bring to light. To expose. Yeah, you find fault with, but you correct it and it calls you into account. We don't like to be accountable, do we? Look at what it means about punishment. The infliction or the imposition of a penalty as uh, retribution for an offense. To inflict the penalty. Who loves it? I mean, how many of you were whooped when you were kids? Some of, your mom or your papa whooped you. Yeah, they did. Now we're talking. <laughs> I'm not going to go into child rearing here, but I will say this. I will say this. That... Um, we need to make a differentiation with our Heavenly Father between the word correction and punishment. If you're going to be able to approach Him and really be open with your Heavenly Father, there is a difference. I'm drawing from a gentleman, by the main, a scholar by the name of H.E. Jacobs. He wrote the International, or was a contributor to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. The year was 1915. And he goes on to say... Uh, I might have to, ooh, I really have to, um, let me just skip around a little bit. He does make a differentiation between chastening and uh, correction. Nurture, he, for, for, he points out Ephesians 6, 4, you don't have to turn there. Nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. But when Padea training is described as bringing pain. The mystery of suffering, which the Old Testament is most fully treated in the book of Job, at last finds its explanation. The child of God realizes that he cannot be beneath God's wrath. God punishes eventually the ungodly. I mean, that's the judgment is way off, you know. But... Can I, can I just be honest with you? From everything I've studied, life beats people up. The curse of the law beats people up. Gosh, I wish I had time. I'm going to have to start free, freewheeling a little bit because it's 8.13. There's a full argument based on Proverbs 3.11 and more than one scholar uh, subscribes to it. And it says... Since those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation, they can suffer no punishment, but only chastisement. Or when we say chastisement, that means coaching, direction from your Heavenly Father. 
and there, it, it gets really rich. Um, gosh, in Hebrew, a sister scripture in Hebrews twelve six says not only that he chastens everyone he loves, but it says that he scourges every son. Now, please understand when he that word scourges. I've got to get this in because I think it's important. You may read that scripture one day and say, "But Pastor Tom, you missed it on this." You've got to understand that the word scourge was brought up in what they call the Septuagint. What is the Septuagint? It's the oldest Greek version of the Old Testament. But the Old Testament was originally in Hebrew. And what that word, what it really means is still chastise or correct like we have been talking all along. Background on the word scourging. Jewish scourging. See if this doesn't strike your spirit right. There is such a thing as the Jewish scourging, which was first, it was the Jewish form of scourging, which involved the application of a leather whip to your shoulders and chest. This form of scourging was limited by Jewish law to 40 stripes. 40. That's it. This is why the Jews called it 40 lashes minus one. They didn't want to risk breaking the law by miscounting, so they deliberately reduced the maximum number of lashes to 39. The law also said the actual number of lashes was supposed to be commensurate with the crime. However, Paul got 40 minus 1 five times. Five times. Can you... Oh boy... This is by the religious people. And by the way, who are the people want to who are the people that want to beat people up all the time? The religious people. Now let's talk about Roman scourging. There was a Roman scourging which was worse. It was typically applied to criminals before the execution and there was no law limiting the number of strokes applied. In fact, boy, this is real exciting. Everybody, yay, thanks a lot, PT. I just really am so glad I came out tonight. Don't worry, there's a happy lining to all this. Notice what it says. It says there was no limit to the number of strokes applied. In fact, if you wanted to kill a man at the whipping post, you could do it with a vicious tool called the flagellum. Since there may be children hearing this, I won't describe what the Roman whip would do to the body and the flesh and the blood and all that. But if you've seen the Passion movie, you know what we're talking about. By the way, uh, our dear Mr. Cavizio fell in the line of the whip one time and it actually came through and it ripped the flesh. It's just like, stop the, stop the shoot. He had problems. It was very, very painful. But by the way, Cavizio is a great man of God. He's a wonderful guy. So anyway, moving right along, regardless whether you got the Jewish version or the Roman version of scourging, scourging was torture. I just got to tell you, you got to match scripture with scripture and you got to see characteristic as you as you measure things up. What loving father is going to beat his kid to a pulp and pull blood? Come on, friends, help me out a little bit. It's not how it works. And by the way, the encouragement tonight is we've got to stop trying to do penance. Here's here it is. Friends. Jesus took the full payment and punishment for all those things that the entire human race has ever done. Everything that you have done, 
anything that you're doing wrong now and everything and anything that you will do or anyone. That punishment was on Christ. So while a lot of people, I love what Brother Hershey was saying, a lot of people are saying, you have to have more passion for God, more passion for God, you've got to love God. And he says, you know what, I wasn't very good at that. He says, rather, instead, I started thinking about the passion that God had for me, the love, and the extent to which He loved me. Okay, you know, you are so loved. Let me just tell you just how much you're loved. Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? This is in the New King James Version. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground, despised and rejected by man, um, men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He, Jesus, was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Every once in a while I just get off the merry-go-round and I just start to ponder... All the things, all the bad things that I've ever done, you know, and I thought, you know, when you start saying, I remember when I was this old, I did this. I remember I did that. I remember I did this. And all of a sudden, the list keeps going like, oh, God, why am I remembering this? (laughs) And I realize he paid for all of it. I want you to think of the worst thing that you have ever done. He was beaten for it. Stripes by his. Look what it says here. Smitten, God afflicted, wounded for our transgressions. Transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. Stripes. What do you mean? That's. Gosh, do I have to pronounce that? Kabura. Maybe that was right. Maybe it wasn't. But it's Strong's twenty-two fifty. <laughs> And friends, that's everything that you saw that we've been talking about. We're talking about black and blues, bruise, hurt, stripe, wound, piercing. It's vicious. Jesus took it for all of us. And stop pretending that you're all that because you know we're not. You know that we all have come short of the glory of God. Is that right? But thank God we've received forgiveness. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone his own way and the Lord has laid on him. So I have a question for you. If the Lord laid it on him already, the iniquity of us all, why does your heavenly father have to whoop you to a pope? That's, that's doesn't make sense, does it? Your father's more of a coach a loving father than that. Can you say amen? Amen. Jesus took our punishment. He took our judgment. Can you thank him for that? Hallelujah. Let's thank him for that. Let's thank him for that. Thank you, Lord. So let me just read some of these things in view of what we've talked about tonight. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 6, 23. John 6, 13 through 17. God loved the world. He didn't want to beat the world. 
He loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through Him might be, what? Beaten. No, saved. 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 Somebody say saved. Saved. I like what it says in the voice. You don't have it up there, but it's Colossians 2, 13 through 15. These are closing comments. Somebody said, Amen. Look what it says here. And when your flesh is still uncircumcised, dead in transgression and swathed in sinful nature, it was God who brought us to life with Him, being Jesus, forgave all of our sins and alienated the massive debt we incurred. Wow. Massive debt. Can I do that, Lord? Okay, I'm going to do this. Do you know how bad sin is? Sin is really bad. I mean, it's, if someone, I don't know how bad I can say that it is. It is so horribly bad, it brings death. It's like an epidemic death, that when people have this thing, it just destroys your life. It destroys us. And yet, it says here, that he took it, he forgave it. This massive debt, justice was satisfied You don't have, good news, you don't have to suffer for that. You don't have to do penance for whatever it is that you did, will do, or have done, or doing. You don't have to, all you got to do is trust in Jesus. Somebody say trust in Jesus. You can't pay this debt back. He alienated the massive debt we incurred by the law, forgave us all our sins, eliminated, hallelujah, took it all away, took it all, somebody say took it all away. I want you to I want you to put your hands on your on your heart like this. Close your eyes. And I want you to say let's say that just a number of times. He took it all away. He took it all away. He took it all away. What does all mean in the Greek and Hebrew? All. Thank you. Look at what it says in God's words translation. You were once dead because of your failures. Who likes to be a failure? I was a straight A student until, I don't know, well, once I was in in high school, I wasn't concentrating or participating, right? And I got like a C in trigonometry. I almost died that day. I quick ran to summer school and got an A real quick. (laughs) But I, you know... I, you know, one of the worst things in life could be is if you're a straight A student. Because all of a sudden you're afraid to get an A minus or a B plus and God forbid a C. Oh my goodness. Any straight A students in here? It's like, I mean, you, you, have, your, you, you have your 4.0 in college. I got my 4.0. I went, mm, sweet, 4.0, 4.0, nice, 4.0. Then Dr. Odie shows up at Un- San Francisco State University. They, Ew, he's a horrible teacher. It was a horrible experience. Now, PK, you say that I got an A. I don't think I got an A. I didn't look the transcripts. I think I got a B. But that was bad for me. I, had, I was so depressed that I got a B. <laughs> Friends, did you know who really accomplishes things in life? People that realize that it's not your perfection. It's His grace operating through your life. And some of the best, not some of the best, I will tell you the best people, the most productive people that I know in industry 
and in families are people that know that they're not perfect. Some of those C students, they're the ones that start businesses. They're not afraid to fail. Somebody's... You got to step out. How many times? I mean, Walt Disney went broke how many times? He made, went broke a few times. You cannot be afraid to make a stinking mistake. It's part of the process. Your heavenly Father will help you. See, we have we, we feel like I mean, you tell me, oh yes, oh yes, Pastor Tom, we know we're saved by grace and you know not by works and that. And yet, if you got a B minus, are you getting depressed? <laughs> if you ruin your four like me and now have something like a three point eight nine or something, I don't know what what it is. I mean, did it, are, are, I was going to commit suicide. I felt like I was gonna, my life was over. <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that preposterous? I mean, when you, go to, when you go to see a lawyer, excuse me, can I see your transcripts? It just says that this so-and-so lawyer, or, or we see the doctor, so-and-so MD, you didn't say, excuse me, uh, where, where did you, what was your grade? And, you, know, you don't do that. You just assume that they're proficient at what they're up there to do. I'm just trying to tell you, God loves real people. Quit trying to be so plastic. Let's just take the, take the heat off and let the love of God overcome you, overwhelm you. And like Keith Hershey says, you got to say when you recognize the kind of love that we're dealing with here and the kind of coaching that your Heavenly Father, and we say admonition, reproof, and correction, all that stuff, that's good stuff. Take the, he'll never let you be in a situation that's over your head. I love this thing. I love my, I love the idea that I'm never going to get something over my head. How about you? Hallelujah. Let's see. He's the father of mercies. Was there another one? Well, you know, in, in the living Bible calls it that you had the list of sins. Well, thank God the list of sins was destroyed by nailing it to the cross. We talked about massive debt in the voice. We talked about all your failures in uh, God's word translation of Second Corinthians chapter uh, uh, or Colossians 2, 13 through 15. What does this say? Friends, let's see if I can find a good... How many of you get in faith with me to, to find a nice stopping place? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. All right, this is, I'm going to read this, and we're going to stop right there. And if I get a chance to preach again, and you'll come back, <laughs> we'll, we'll do part three. <laughs> the most significant part about correction, instruction, reproof, admonition, coaching, training, the most important aspect of it is the relationship between the coach and the person being coached. The trainer and the person being trained. The father and the son. The father and the daughter. God loves you, wants you to trust him. He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. Did I, did, my, did I do my acrostic on chastise? I didn't, did I, tonight? I didn't, did I? Let me go. I'll do it right now. C stands for coach. Chastise, just put a letter down. I'll just do this, take me three minutes. 
H stands for help. He is your help. A stands for add. He will add to you. People are staying away from church by the millions because they think that God's trying to take something away. He's not a taker. He's a rewarder. He's adding. S, strengthen. Not squash. Strengthen. I felt my father strengthen me when I jumped out in an investment venture and almost drowned. (laughs) I woke up one day a million dollars in debt. Dear God! Almost on the street. And he turned that around. T, train. He's a trainer. I, instruct. S, support. Support. Just like that guy that was the trainer for the chariots of fire runner. You know, it's a love relationship. And then E stands for encourage. You can do this. You got this. I don't know, because can I be honest with you? A lot of times we don't know if we got it or not. How many of you know it's a, if you're, if you happen to be, and I'm closing now, if you happen to be one of those guys that sit on the couch and criticize what Bochi did or criticize what, what, what Curry did or whoever the coaches are and you're criticizing them, we, what do we call that? Monday morning what? Quarterbacks or whatever. Monday. I, I just want you to know something. It's quite one thing to sit in the chair and be, well, they should have done this and they should have, and for you to be out in the field doing it yourself. <laughs> Yeah, but to see the thing is Jesus went through everything that we went through He knows how to help Book of Hebrews is very clear on that So when you have Him as your personal trainer (laughs) You're not just saying somebody that's a Monday morning quarterback He's already been through it And when He says, you got this you really do got this. He says, I want you to start that business. I want you to, I want you to step out. I want you to start looking out for some, some, some capital. And I want you to, I want you to um, get that idea. I want it to be copyrighted or whatever it is that they do. Patent pending or get a patent on it. And you say, like, I don't know. I've never done that before. I don't know. He says, you got this. You can do this. For those of you that are going for your driver's test. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know why you're doing it. You got this. You can do this. For those of you that are in school and says, okay, you're in speech class or you're going to have to give a speech, five-minute speech, and this is is your final, and 50% of your grade rests on this, and that teacher's all. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, God, I can do all things. And then all of a sudden, your coach steps up beside you and says, You got this. <laughs> Hallelujah. You got this. I don't know how I'm going to pay that debt off. You got this. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. You got this. I need a job. I need a job. I don't know. How to... You got this. God is going to see to it. Somebody's talking about you at the job and all of a sudden you have to clean up a mess. Oh, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. Your coach says, you got this. You got this. Thanks be unto God who sometimes gives us the victory. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks be unto God who many times gives us the victory. Who most of the time gives us the victory. Always. What does always mean? 
in the Greek? What does always mean in Hebrew? What does always mean in Espanoli? What does always mean in English? You ought to get happy. Come on, let's give God a shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't even get a chance to read from Tony Cook's book, but that's all right. Maybe that part three or part 30, we'll see when we get to do that. <laughs> I like coming to church and having a good time. How about you? Woo, come on, let's give God thanks that you're forgiven. He's got you covered. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Come on, pray with me for a minute. Ah, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No good thing will you withhold from those that walk uprightly. Not only that, Father, that you're at work in them, both to will and to do of your good pleasure.